welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 episode and the sky full of stars, which is a reference to uh, Sinclair's monologue uh, in the middle of the Gathering, the pilot TV movie, in which he describes the Battle of the Line. And there's that really great line where he uh, where he says, in the, in the sky was full of stars, and each star an exploding ship, one of ours. Um, so, and naturally, this is an episode that reveals more about what was going on with the Battle of the Line, um, yeah, more about Sinclair's missing 24 hours, and more about the Grey Council. We finally get to see them in this episode. So, um, some really important revelations in this episode. It's a pretty good episode. Like, there's, there's some hiccups here and there, and, uh, there's certain things that could be better, um... And this is early on in the show's history, so a lot of things that I take for granted for Babylon 5 is not here. Um, and you can also see JMS sort of evolving as he goes throughout. I mean, it's a five-season show, so you have five years of him evolving his style. He gets much better at building mystery, revealing uh, tidbits of information slowly over time uh, than it is currently. And it also comes with the 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 ones the first season problem is that we're not as familiar with this world, so a lot of the episodes involve uh, sort of info dumping particular information about the world and the characters. Um, and the, he's done it pretty all right so far, but the issue is we're they're not familiar to us yet completely, so. Uh, he doesn't have the benefit of just being able to slowly build mysteries around these characters because he also has to introduce them. Uh, part of a lot of reason people don't like first season as much as other seasons, though some is some consider it one of the best. I I consider it quite great. I wouldn't go as far as saying one of the best. I think every season has its pros and cons, but I do think season one is pretty solid. Uh, but the the reason some people don't like it as much is because it's, it has a lot more single one and done episodes compared to the rest of the series because uh around around season two ish uh especially season three and then season four takes it to a whole new level you get the more classic serialized narrative that you see in modern television where each episode leads into the next and it's this one ongoing story and while that is kind of the case here where things are picked up on and mentioned there's still one and dones um, and th this is, this is an early attempt to do that in American television, and so it's the sort of rough edges are showing because it hasn't been made into a science like it is now, basically. Um, and, and so the, the entire ordeal around what's happening to Sinclair comes off as a bit, um, odd. It, it doesn't feel as natural as some of the later ways we reveal things and mystery and delve into mysteries in this series. So it just kind of comes out of nowhere, like, why hasn't this happened before? That kind of thing. But it, it, it's, it's a good episode overall. So I'm just going to get into some interesting fun facts and just looking at the entire series and it, it, the episode and what's going on here. So just a couple of fun stuff before we get into the real meaty stuff is that um, Walter Koenig was originally supposed to play Knight 2, which is the uh, person that is talking to Sinclair in the VR mind thing that Sinclair is in in most of the episode. Um, he could not... Uh, he, he was basically sick, so he couldn't do it. 
and that eventually led to him getting another role because him and JMS were friends. And that and that role was Bester, which we just previously saw a few episodes ago. It's great. It's it, I think that's actually pretty great because uh, Night Two never shows up again. So it's really nice to see that Walter Kodak got not only a recurring role but a pretty awesome role in one of the best villains of the series. Uh, instead, Christopher Name, or I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name right, uh, is uh, is uh, who plays him. Uh, he's uh, he's you you would recognize him uh, from Doctor Who, and when I say Doctor Who, I mean classic Who. I believe this is a Fourth Doctor episode. Uh, he he's really over the top, very theatrical, but it kind of really fits with the way things are uh, things are situated in this episode. That. He's kind of on edge. He's trying. He's he, he's trying to break down Sinclair's defenses. He's trying to make him go a little crazy. So that kind of fits with the, the with Night Two's overall presentation. Night One, interestingly, is a another Star Trek alumni. Uh, Judson Scott played uh, Khan's right hand man in Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Uh, so, so it's really nice to see to see him, uh, and it's quite fun considering that him and Chekhov are on on screen together in 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 uh, Wrath of Khan, and of course, uh, of course, uh, he appears in this episode. And originally, he was originally Walter Koenig was supposed to play Knight too. So it's quite funny that th- those two would have been together again. But thankfully, Walter Koenig got cast as Bester, and we're all the better for it. So. As I as I mentioned, the main episode, the the, the main part of the episode is the, there is no real B plot. I mean, Benson's plot is kind of a B plot, but it, it ends up folding into uh, the A plot in a very quickly. So there is no real uh, A plot B plot kind of thing. It is almost entirely focused on what's going on with Sinclair. He gets captured by these people called uh, Knights One, Knight Two, and they put him in this like sort of VR machine thing that gets inside his head, and it's a simulation. And they're trying to, and as a result, they have access to a lot of his memories. And then they find out, of course, that there is a hole in his mind that he's missing twenty-four hours, and uh, they're they're trying to figure out what's going on because, ain't it really convenient that at the Battle of the Line, he blacks out for twenty-four hours. Uh, and suddenly the Mimbari surrender. Ain't that really convenient? And so they're trying to, they, they legitimately suspect that he's a traitor, that he is, that, that he is working for the, the Mimbari in some way. Um, there's, there's a continuing theme of xenophobia, um, in the fact that we saw previously with, uh, with the Home Guard, uh, last episode that there's this and there's been mentions of like pro-earth movements throughout uh, the past few episodes that earth is very suspicious of other aliens um, so the, this person uh, in the night two is going well you know alien migration a- alien a- aliens are uh, taking jobs they're they they've helped fund babylon 5 um you know i think th- i think they realize and this shows the true arrogance of hum- humanity that uh th- that he goes th- 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 he's like uh did th- th- basically the membaris did the cold calculus and realizes that they would lose too many people attacking earth uh sort of the uh uh, America and Japan in World War II, where we realized that we would have lost 
quite a bit of people they were, uh, you know storming storming Japan so that's why the bombs were dropped uh, kind of thing so they decided so the Minbari decided to surrender and then conquer us quietly uh, through subterfuge through uh, cultural takeover basically uh, and that's what he's fearing and later in the episode we get uh, we we find out that uh, Knights 1 and Knight 2 are part of this organization we don't know the name of um, in uh, back on Earth and that's why they're being shipped back to Earth to stand trial for what they did because uh, it's an Earth problem. Uh, that sort of feeds into the ongoing deal that Earth isn't bright, wonderful, and kind in this universe. Uh, there's some issues going on there. Um, the the again feeding into the xenophobia thing and the the the, the arrogance thing is, is Sinclair's rebuttal to Night Two's go you theory about that is he was like you you talk about the war you say that we could have won but you weren't there I was kind of thing and he's like the the the, the Mimbari weren't losing we were losing we were going to die there was no option there um and, and he, he goes for many years I struggled with the idea that uh, with every time I saw a Mimbari I uh, I wanted to strangle them because uh, they, they're responsible for so many of my friends' deaths uh, and almost the death of my entire species. So we, we uh, in the last episode, we had Sinclair infiltrating these super racist people to take them down, uh, but there was a hint of a grain of truth in there. He's not, he's realized his own problems and prejudices and have gone to address it, and he's even befriended him in Bari and Delin. So... It's very clear he's gotten over those issues, but he's, he, as stated before, he, he's kind of suffering from PTSD from the war. Uh, in uh, I think I mentioned that in Infection when he, it was very clear he had a bit of a death wish. So he, he kind of stewed in that sort of racial prejudice for a while, and he eventually got over it. Uh, to quote an excellent episode of Star Trek, I know it's not related to this, but uh, there is an episode of Star Trek where a character known as uh, Miles O'Brien, who served in a war against the Cardassians, has to confront Cardassians uh, uh, and acknowledge his own problems. Uh, so it's, it's an episode called The Wounded in Star Trek The Next Generation, where he's like, where he's like I don't hate you, Cardassian. I hate when I became because of you. And that's what you get from Sinclair, where it's very clear he's not he's not like that anymore. He's not racist, but he's afraid of what he became out of that pure anger that was caused by, uh, that, that eventually led to that hatred of the Mimbari uh, that he eventually grew out of. Uh, we, we, we get some more information on uh, the Battle of the Line and what, what it was like, and there's, I don't think this is really a spoiler because we've gotten tons and tons of information uh, about it, we we get a general gist of what it is, but we'll actually we'll be seeing it later. There's a couple times we'll flash to the Battle of the Line, and in particular, there's a there's a TV movie that I'll be covering between season four and five called In the Beginning. That is, its main thing is the Battle of the Line, and it, it is without a doubt the Membari had were committing genocide. They were trying to kill us, and they were trying to kill all humans, and. And that is demonstrated in an episode that I won't talk about till I get to it. It's the first episode of season two uh, that has to do with a ship called the Black Star. Uh, we will get to that when we get there. Um, 
but uh, one of the presidents, uh, the president at the time of the Battle of the Line, uh, has a line in uh, in in the beginning where she says that uh, we have repeated on all channels uh, surrender, you know, and call for peace, and they have not answered. This the Battle of the Line was literally called the Battle of the Line because it was the last line of defense against the Minbari. If they broke through, we were dead, and they did break through. And then they surrendered. And that's a bit... Everybody's kind of got their own opinion of what the hell was going on there. But there's also this hint of ar arrogant humans who are uh, who are basically, to quote a character from uh, later, of armchair quarterbacking, uh, that we, we didn't lose the war. The Minbari surrendered. Obviously, they realized, you know, that they couldn't break us. No, that has nothing to do with it. Um, there's... And, and, and I, I think the Sinclair's charge, uh, where where he, you know his his star fairies hit, and he he's like, if I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna take your bastards with me. I think really shows just how desperate the humans were at that battle. Uh, that everybody who signed up for the Battle of the Line, and everybody who was there, knew it was suicide. Knew that they probably were not gonna come back, and so it was the last line of defense, and it's all they could do. And. Uh, some more interesting information we find out about um, sort of uh, what is going on with uh, what, what happened during the war is a uh, small little scene between uh, Dr. Franklin and Delin, where she asks about his his times when he was sort of uh, hitchhiking uh, and trying to discover the, the galaxy, which we had uh, heard about and saw his mentor in infection. Um, and she and he's like, that kind of was put to a stop when we went to war. She asked him what he did in the war, and he was like, I, I, I was asked, along with many of the doctors, to give notes about your race, about the Minbari, in hopes that the, the, the military would develop some sort of genetic or bioweapon to be used against you. And uh, she asked what he did with the notes, and he said, I, I, I destroyed them. I, would, I took an oath that all life was sacred, and I would not have my notes that I made to help others be used to kill uh and she thanks him for that and that's a franklin is one of the most morally um most morally upright characters in the series uh there's a lot of shades of gray in many different characters and stephen franklin even gets a bit shades of gray in particular points in time uh but he is very he believes in his morality he believes in his doctor's oath there's a great speech he gives in season five when he's asked why why save the other side and he's like why not you know i i it's my job as a doctor uh and, and he has goes on this like five minute speech about what that means to him it's fantastic but we're not there yet obviously but uh and he reciprocates the answer and delin dodges the question and says it's a topic for another time i will get into that in the spoiler section um, there's, uh, the first shot of Garibaldi, we see that he's reading a newspaper, uh, and you could, you could make the, 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 the ideas that this is the future, uh, why, why is someone reading newspapers? Because newspapers are almost dead in the year 2019. Of course, this was the 90s, uh, when this was being made, early 90s, so newspapers were very much alive and just fine, uh, but, uh, we will see later on how newspapers work exactly there's a machine that they go to they they insert money and it 
ask them what sections they want printed out. So basically, it's a digital file that is sent, uh, and then it's formatted for paper, and then people can choose to customize what they see on what pages. Uh, and if they don't want something, they, uh, they, they simply don't get it. Uh, let's say I, I'm not a sports person, so I can go and get uh, the, the, the newspaper and uh, omit the sports section, that kind of thing. Um, so it's customizable, and it's a digital file that's printed out in, in sort of a paper format. So um, I can definitely see that being a thing in the future. People who are so ardent in their, their reading newspapers, it's the thing. They go get their morning coffee, and they open up the newspaper they read. Once they're done drinking, they, they go do whatever, you know, that kind of thing. You, you know people like that. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if something like that does happen in the future. Just not, may not be as widely available. Maybe you have to pay a subscription or something, but not in the Babylon 5 universe. Uh, on the newspaper that Garibaldi is reading, we get a lot of details about certain things. I can't, some of them are spoilers, so I will get into that during the spoiler section, but there's some neat little references. Um, so the previous episode had to do with the home guard. We find out that the, one of the headlines is the home guard leader is convicted. Uh, the very first episode of the season, uh, Midnight on the Fire Island, had to do with a uh, the the dispute over ownership of the planet called Ragesh Three between the Nard and the Centauri. We find out that that has been settled. Uh, the Ragesh Three incident has uh, basically the Nards had settled it, and then uh, in that same episode we get mentions of the the uh, the, the terrorist bombing of San Diego, um, and we there's a article about how San Diego is still considered too radioactive for uh for human settlement um we will see san diego at one point it's only it's only one particular moment one episode um it's not a big thing it's not it's not a major plot point that san diego was bombed or anything it's just it's a fact of the world the one thing i love is uh when people create fictional universes they can create little things that are not important to the plot just to make it feel a bit more lived in um, sometimes that's great, sometimes it's not so great. It just depends on the skill of the writer. I think the idea of the bombing of San Diego in this fictional world is quite interesting. And it, it, uh, it ties into some of the main themes later about uh, negligence when it comes to, uh, uh, to advancing technology and war and how that will end up in the hands of people who don't understand it. That will feed into a theme later in the series. Uh, and the San Diego bombing will be brought up a couple more times, but it's not like it's a major plot point or anything. It's just, it's a nice, subtle thing in the background there. Um, everything else on that newspaper is a bit of a spoiler, so I will get into this, get into them during the spoiler section. Of course, now, uh, another thing we find out in this episode is the Great Council. We had heard about the Great Council. We found out that Delenn is Satai, which means she was a member of the Great Council, uh, and she's, she's here. Why would someone of the ruling council also be acting as a ambassador to the station? That's a bit odd, isn't it? Uh, and the Great Council is formed of nine people. Uh, and uh, they they kidnapped uh, when 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 Sinclair attempted to ram his ship, they took him in, they they uh, they held up a device to him. Um, we don't know the name of it yet, so I'm not going to say it. I'll say it in the spoiler section. It lights up. They they discuss something. They knock him out at one point. They erase his memories. 
Uh, we don't know what they're there for or what's going on. We know that Delenn was not only a member of the Great Council, but a member of the Great Council during Sinclair's Missing 24 Hours. Uh, so that plays a big por part in stuff. He's now not trusting her. He kept the information when she, she asks, you know, does he, do you remember anything of what happened? And he says, no, obviously that is false. He knows. And then of course we get an, an appearance of another Great Council member who says, you know, if he ever finds out what happened, he must be killed. Um, which adds this air of mystery and, and, and what the hell's going on kind of thing. And, of course, we end the episode with him saying, I'm going to find out what the hell's going on. You know, I'm going to find out what happened during those 24 hours and why Delenn is lying to me. Um, there's there's some really interesting uh, thoughts, thoughts put out in this episode uh, that will be explored later in the series as well. Uh, very early on in the episode, Sinclair has a line that everyone lies. The innocent because they don't want to be blamed for something they didn't do, and the guilty because they have no other choice. This is both, once again, I talk about Babylon 5 is a bit more sheets gray, it, pessimism and optimism exist side by side to create a more realistic universe. In this uh, in, in this way, you, get, you sort of get an insight into Sinclair's mentality um, that everyone lies, but it's not a, it's not a cynical thing of, you know, uh, everyone lies because they're all out for themselves. No, it's a, it's a, it's a thing of it's a defensive mechanism, uh, and it's also commentary on the idea of like witch hunts. Um, the, the, there's this prevailing uh, phrase you can find a lot of times with, during persecutions in real life history that if you have nothing to hide, that you will tell the truth, uh, which is not true quite frankly, uh, as Sinclair said, the innocent lie sometimes to, uh, b because they're afraid of being blamed for something that they didn't do. Fear-mongering, witch hunts and the like, cause people to act irrationally and to lie when otherwise they are innocent because they're being persecuted for no other reason. Um, and they're automatically suspected and suspicious, even though they had nothing to do with it. You can see them throughout real life history. I mean, not not too long ago, we had McCarthyism, uh, where that was a big prevailing thing. Um, and of course, Sinclair is the product of a witch hunt in this because uh, these people are working for some sort of organization in OrthGov, and they they came here to try and brand him a traitor and you in he's in he's trying to protect his innocence um because they don't believe him and even when he tells him them the truth they refuse to believe it that's often the problem with witch hunts and we will be we will be looking at that sort of uh the the that sort of mentality if you have nothing to hide you must tell the truth throughout the rest of Babylon 5 that will come up repeatedly um and it's it's great to see uh see that being addressed of like no that's not how people work on uh, especially with witch hunts where they pretty much already have you um they they, they they already have you judged before you say a word so even telling the truth they won't even take it uh, that kind of thing um the the only other interesting thing uh before the spoilers is the uh is benson's plot is is showing a side uh that is uh interesting for multiple reasons so we get uh he's he's owes gambling debts and then they need to get a power source so they call upon him to get the power source and then that ends up leading to sinclair's entire ordeal uh this shows that the, the through through multiple stages of lackeys and middlemen 
people can be doing evil acts without realizing it. Um, which is a theme that will repeat throughout Babylon 5 and especially become important uh, in the middle of season 3 and then throughout season 4 uh, is that doing wrong without thinking because you don't know, which we've seen in real life. Uh, and, and so it's nice to see that being addressed. But also, uh, you get an interesting insight to Garibaldi with that where where when Sinclair goes missing, Garibaldi immediately starts checking the airlocks because that's naturally the first place that someone would throw the body but because of the way gravity works on babylon 5 the body would just sort of stick around near it until it's cleaned off so in a fun of a mixed dimension of i i hope i never have to uh think like you you know i hate to live in that world and we see that uh when benson is killed they find his body outside an airlock so uh garibaldi thinking is well quite morbid it, it makes sense for being the head of security and knowing how the station works and it's incredibly dark thinking but that's why he's one of the best security chiefs and the only person that could really do this job effectively now we'll get into spoilers now um the big thing of course is the triluminary illuminated uh when Sinclair was there which which is part of the entire Minbari human souls are merging or their DNA is merging uh once again Sinclair was not originally Valen in the original idea because Michael Hare was supposed to stay through all five seasons. So um, we're seeing the early development of a plot thread that will be changed. Uh, there's the you know if the Triluminary is not near Delenn yet, it'll eventually illuminate later when it's revealed that you know she's a child of Valen, uh, so descendant of Sinclair because it's the Triluminary's program to respond to his DNA, but. Here's the here's the issue. Uh, originally, the idea was that uh, that there was a prophecy of a great leader that would unite the earth, uh, the the the, the night humans and the Bimbari, um, and that there's there, and the entire idea of their souls merging was uh, was an actual thing, uh, and had to do with the fact that uh, Delenn was going to go through a change, which she will at the end of this episode or the end of this season, uh, have a child with Sinclair, be named David, and he would be the great leader. Uh, so it, it's kind of, uh, in the, there was this hint that no one, that only certain people believed in the prophecy. So this, it kind of comes at odds when the great council member comes in and, you know, is like, if he finds out he must be killed, why would you want to go kill your greatest leader? You know, the person that you know is Valen, that has the, uh, that in your opinion has the soul of Valen, and therefore is your most revered and respected leader who's the founder of your entire society and the founder of your own religion. Um, it's kind of insane that he wouldn't say kill, uh, kill him. Once again, he's not Valen yet. That was never in the original plan. That had to be changed when Michael Harrow had to depart the show. So it kind of comes at odds. However, it can make sense if you read it a particular way. If he is a member of the warrior cast on the Great Council, um, the the the, the Great Council kept information from particular casts. Uh, only the Greek Council knew about this. So it could be a deal that they don't want in, out of fear because this becomes a thing with the Minbari Civil War where the Minbari, the different cast stop trusting each other uh, and start worrying against each other as a result that the Greek Council uh, needs to keep this information under wraps so is willing to kill what they suspect is their greatest leader in order to keep the secret to keep the Minbari united which eventually will cause the issues because they are keeping so many secrets from the various casts. So it, it can make sense if you twist it just enough. 
Uh, but it's still it's still an odd point there because you know it's not the original plan if you do any research into it. Again, he's not supposed to be Valen in the original draft. Uh, and another interesting point uh, is that Jack can't seem to find Sinclair, uh, but the moment Garibaldi takes over, when Jack is like, I just can't find him, he almost immediately finds where Sinclair is. Um, Jack, of course, is the, is uh, an agent of the Psychor, and he's working uh, to subterfuge them, and the Knights 1 and Knights 2 are part of this organization called Bureau 13 that only makes one more appearance. Uh, and it's in connection to what's happening with the Psychor, uh, and Talia and Control and all that jazz. Uh, but due to copyright reasons with the name Bureau 13, they had to get rid of that. So Bureau 13 is never mentioned again, but Night 1 and Night 2 are are mentioned as having been a members of Bureau 13. They are working with Psychor. So it's obvious that Jack is, his programming is taking over to prevent them from, uh, uh, finding Sinclair for the the aid of them uh, for the aid of the knights to get the information they need. Um, so uh, interesting deal of uh, speaking of the Psychor on the uh, on the paper that Garibaldi is reading the newspaper. We get this uh, article about the Psychor are inducing the vice president, uh, and the Psychor may be violating their charter, considering the fact that they are not supposed to take political stances. This is an interesting tidbit that will actually come up as a story point in season two. And Garibaldi will even say, I read, I read articles about this very thing happening. So it's very fun to see that, but it's not put front and center. If you're not reading that newspaper, if you're just casually looking at the TV or looking away at the time, uh, you won't notice it. But it actually becomes a very important plot point, so it's very subtle, very nice to see that. Uh, some other information we get uh, on that newspaper that leads to future stuff is there's an article explaining the pros and cons of interspecies mating, which of course the original plot line involving uh, Sinclair and uh, and Lynn's child, uh, which later gets changed, but they that Sheridan and Delin still have a child. Uh, it's just not as prevalent in the story. Um, like it's a plot point, but it's not not one of the one of the main intentions of the story. Um, so it's interesting to see that. And of course, uh, Delenn will go through the change of becoming part human in Chrysalis. Um, and then there's also the mention that EarthGov promises a balanced budget by uh, by a particular year, uh, and uh, basically is promising budget cuts. There's an entire episode in this season called "By Any Means Necessary," which is about budget cuts. Uh, and in season two, there's an episode, one of my favorite episodes, uh, called In Now for a Word, which is a news, news segment documentary done on Babylon 5. It's a really experimental episode. It's not done in the standard format. And the reason the documentary was made was to poll the public's opinion of whether Babylon 5 is worth spending the money that EarthGov is currently spending or if they need to cut the budget. Uh, once again, uh, the, all of that all of this is feeding into an ongoing idea and plan and uh, some stuff are major, some stuff are minor, but it all comes back eventually. Uh, and then of course the final bit of uh, spoiler I want to talk about comes with uh, Delenn avoiding the question of what she did during the war. Of course, uh, she was not only a member of the Greek Council, as we saw during the 24 hour, uh, the, the brief information we get in this episode about Sinclair's missing 24 hours, but also we get uh, 
because she's avoiding questions, it shows that she's kind of ashamed of what she did, because she is. Uh, and this will become an important part a, of her character development, um, that she was that she was the society vote to declare war on the humans after they killed uh, her mentor uh, out of a mistake. It was a misunderstanding at first contact that led to the war. And she was the deciding vote, and she acted in emotion, and uh, she caused not only a holy war to be declared, but almost the genocide of an entire race because she acted out of pure emotion, and she felt so bad about that, and she has so much regret pent up in that, um, which is why she's so fascinated with human culture is because she's trying to not only trying to fulfill the prophecy that she sees about the humans in, in the Mimbari uh, slowly emerging, but also to make amends for what happened. Um, so, the pretty good episode, builds builds a lot on what is going on, and uh, any current dangling plot threads, because, um, once again, early season one, and most of season one, you know, has a lot of singular episodes, so nothing really carries on from episode to episode, but there's some small things, as we saw here in Chris Sinclair's Missing 24 Hours is the bigger one of this season. Um, and there's some, uh, this, there's some stuff, this stuff developing and changing and evolving, and of course, this series will get better as it goes along, not only storytelling-wise, production-wise, but also in the, the evolution of mysteries, how uh, setting them up, paying them off, de slowly developing them, to a nice uh to to a nice conclusion is handled much better in later seasons uh, like i said you can see jms's uh writing style evolving as this show progresses but no it's a pretty solid episode it answers a lot of mysteries about what's going on uh with sinclair and the mimbari and the battle of the line and the earth mimbari war and the missing 24 hours it's really essential viewing uh for uh some very important plot threads for the rest of the series uh, so pretty good episode. I'll see you next time with, I believe, Deathwalker. So see you then. Bye.